You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we come to you for our penultimate look at the Best Picture nominees for the 2018 Academy Awards and 90th Academy Awards. We are now into the movie that, well, uh, not a lot of people have really heard of, probably not a lot of people have seen unless you're doing podcasts like this. Um, you're, you're voting on it, or you're maybe like Army Hammer or something like that. You probably just watch yourself in it. I don't really know. Uh, it's Call Me By Your Name, Ben Colin. <laughs> um, <laughs> an interesting movie featuring love, shirtless people, love, uh, fruit sex, um, <laughs> semi-pedophilia. I don't know. This is an interesting <laughs> movie. Uh, my name is Ben, and... Call me by your name and I'll call you by mine. And my name is Colin and Ben, stop sniffing my swimming trunks. <laughs> Damn it. Sorry. You always catch me doing the bad things. Um, yeah. Uh, call me by your name. Look, this is, this is honestly one that, uh, you know, out of all of them, I think I just, I really, every time it's like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a one, isn't it? That's one of these ones that's been nominated. And <laughs> that's think, one of those ones. <laughs> you kind of summed it up yesterday about how there's always one that sort of just, sneaks in or not many people are talking about until it gets nominated so um i, I think we could probably both agree this isn't generally a movie you and i would go out and watch uh, unless we were doing something no. for this but uh, what did you think of call me by your name this is gonna sound really weird but like i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i would mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of reasons why um it's not my love of sex with fruit or shirtless men or anything but uh <laughs> I don't know, in a way, I already complained to Lady Bird that I'm just done with these whole coming-of-age stories, especially ones that are told over long periods of time. But there was something about this one that just didn't feel generic, and I don't think the story or the characters really took your traditional movie route. It, that also presented some problems that I had with the movie, so in, in a lot of ways, you're going to hear me complain about some of the same things that I enjoyed this movie. But like, unlike, you know phantom thread i don't think i was bored for one second of this movie it's not like you know this is an absolute must own for me or anything but like i actually really enjoyed it yeah i'm pretty much the same as you it's kind of like one of these ones that you know you kind of know what it's about like okay this is going to be interesting but it was just done in a way that made it entertaining i mean i wasn't bored same as you like i can see how people might be bored during this film um but at the same time you know it's just there's something entertaining and interesting about this whole sort of love story between these two. And again, it's kind of a case of another one of these ones that, I mean, the plot point is just basically the relationship between these two guys. Um, and, you know, everything else is kind of is there. So, I mean, we I mentioned the other day about a uh, coming-of-age movie for the boys. Uh, well, you know, this is kind of sort of its own way of doing it. Um, and for I mean, all the boys. For all the boys, yes. Uh, it was very, I mean, it's just... It was just done in an entertaining way, and I think it was, like... It really is a sweet film in the fact that when it comes to it, um, you know, it just... I don't know how to describe it. Like, it's sweet, this story between these two, even though, like, if you nitpick certain things about it, it's kind of a bit disturbing. But, um, yeah, I mean, were you familiar at all? I'm going to try and say uh, Luca Guadagagino. (laughs) I think I got it half right there. Were you familiar with his previous work, such as A Bigger Splash... Um, the esteemed Love Factory number three, Pippo Del Bono, and of course my personally favourite, uh, Bertolucci on Bertolucci, a documentary of course, but it's still a good film. I've, I've got the box set right in front of me right now. It's <laughs> one on every single night, um, for the whole year. 
Uh, I had no uh, knowledge of him at all. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, you get a foreign director directing, I guess this is an American movie, and uh, people kind of just ignore him, which is sad because I think that it's kind of that Italian style that makes this movie a little bit different. But, you know, in the Golden Globes and all the other awards out there, I heard so much talk about the screenwriter, James Ivory, that I was convinced he directed this movie. So, I mean, nobody's even talking about this guy who directed the movie, but I, I feel like Luca Guadagni, yep. you know, uh, <laughs> Luca G, uh, <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like he kind of is the star of the movie, and I don't know why he's just gone unnoticed. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, too. This is the first one we've done, really, isn't it, that it's based off something else. This is an original. This is a, um, adapted from a novel, um, which was written in 2007 by Andre Achiman, Ackerman. Um, and just if you read the uh, synopsis of the novel, uh, it is about a love affair between an intellectually precocious 17-year-old American-Italian Jewish boy and a visiting 24-year-old American Jewish scholar in 1980s Italy. So, um, gee, that just makes you want to see a film. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, I think it's really just incredible the way this film looks beautiful. Like, it just really makes you want to visit kind of this area of the world. You know, it's in English, it's in Italian, there's some French thrown in there. Um, you know, the French throw, they run away. What's, you know, unusual about that? Um, well, they come back and they kind of, you know, solve things. So that's kind of interesting little fact. But, um, and this is going into it, it's been nominated for four Academy Awards, it's obviously the best picture, but we've also got Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Original Song, so this is kind of the first ones that we've been talking about, really, that's got an adapted screenplay and an original song, we'll talk about them maybe afterwards, but in terms of the acting abilities, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, your fandom for the esteemed uh, Army Hammer, uh, we'll maybe talk about yeah. him in a second, but, uh, you know, realistically, this movie is just an absolutely shining performance, and I'm going to try and say his name, you know, I'm going to butcher it, Timothy Chalamet, I'm going to try and say his name, I mean, what a, what a performance by him, I think, yeah, he just steals this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is when I knew, at a certain point of the movie, when I knew that this guy really had it, and that he was good in this. Uh, this is, of course, we've talked about how every single movie we've covered has at least one actor that appears in another one of the best pictures. In this one, you know, the dad, Michael Stolberg, appears in three out of the nine best picture nominated movies. But uh, Timothy Chalamet here, he was in uh, Lady Bird, where he played, I guess, the douchey boyfriend that she has in that movie. And it's not that I disliked him in that movie, but, I mean, he was just, like, pure douchebaggery. <laughs> so when this movie started, I could not get over that. And I just did not like the Elio character at all. And then about half an hour into the movie, I really just started liking this kid. And that I think is the best example of why his performance is not going to be, Oh, he was so deep and so emotional in the scene. It's like, no, he made me forget what a douchey was in Ladybird. <laughs> like good job, Timothy. Yes. And I, I'm seeing here, I um, mean, he actually was in Homeland and I just, I remember him vaguely in that actually. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't really put the two and two together about that in Lady Bird. I didn't, I just kind of went in with a blank slate, really. But, um, you know, I, I, I mean, does he actually speak Italian, uh, and French? I mean, you know, he, he, he comes across it quite well, unless they just dub him over with it or anything. But, um, he obviously got a best actor nod. I mean, uh, probably out of all the roles we've talked about, I mean, we, we're not sadly covering, uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire or whatever the hell it is, yeah. Denzel Washington. Um, but I mean, 
would you probably say, though, out of the four that we've seen, that he obviously would have the least amount of chances out of all of them? But, I mean, it's still a very strong performance. Probably in a strong acting year, though, with uh, you know Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Kluwer, and uh, Gary Oldman all obviously shining in their films as well. Yeah, I think, though, that this movie's really picked up some steam with the people who are watching it, that he might be... I don't know, he might have a slightly better chance than Daniel Day-Lewis at this point. Like we said, the only reason Daniel Day-Lewis would win was just be nostalgia, but I don't think that movie's really taking off the way this one is. Uh, I have to say, out of the four out of the five performances that we've seen here, as much as I love Daniel Kaluuya, uh, I would probably put Timothy, Timothy Chalamet, I'd put him just behind Gary Ullman. Like, I thought he was phenomenal in this movie. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, the, I mean, I, not to take away from I agree with you, I think he's absolutely amazing, but... Um... I guess I maybe wouldn't necessarily agree with that. What about what about your man Army? Um, you know. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing. I'll, I'll I'll explain. I guess a little bit about some of the things I liked about this movie to explain why I was able to forgive Army Hammer here. <laughs> I mean, Army Hammer. I said at the end of the last episode, he's just one of these guys that Hollywood's been pushing for years, trying to make him a star, and I just. <sighs> Every time I think he does something right, there's somebody much better in the movie. And it's kind of the same thing here. Like, the the only other one I saw him in where I actually kind of liked him in was The Man from Uncle. And, of course, Henry Cavill just completely outshines him. Uh, here, I mean, I think Army Hammer's kind of supposed to be outshined uh, by Elio. But I guess one thing that worked about this movie that probably shouldn't have is the fact that every single character in this movie is, like, severely intellectual. I mean, we've got a 17-year-old kid who's like, what are your hobbies? It's like, I transcribe music. <laughs> you know, I play Bach. And Army Hammer here is, like, the assistant or whatever to, um, you know, this this really intellectual professor. And, like, everybody in this movie has just got an IQ, you know, off the chart. And there's something about the way that, even though they introduce this movie and they kind of set up the, the character of Oliver that... He is a little bit, they say, obnoxious or rude or too American. You know, the fact they make a big deal about the fact that he just says later to people. Uh, but he doesn't come across like, you know, this arrogant intellectual jerk. Uh, when he gets intellectual in this movie, I kind of buy it. It just feels realistic, but it doesn't feel pompous. Mm. So I, I normally, I think a character like this. And even with Army Hammer in the past, I mean, if he played a character like this, I don't think he could have pulled it off. But maybe we, we could give more credit to the director for being able to get this really solid performance out of a guy who's just all around very average. And look, I've I mean, never in everything but the looks department. I've never seen him in anything. Looking when I looked at his um, filmography, but I mean, I, I can't imagine that these sort of roles, like I mean, you know, for somebody who I guess is appearing in what blockbusters and things like that, for to kind of do a. I mean, I wouldn't call this an indie film. Would you call this an indie film? Like, it's just kind of one of these... Yeah, I guess. You know, it's one of these real Oscar-baity movies, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty, you know, big role for somebody to do like this in, in terms of just the, the content that you've got to do. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just... The overall love story, though, I think, between the two is just... Yeah, it's, it's believable. There's chemistry between these two. And... Um, I think it's done in a way that, again, if you strip it all back to realise this is like a, what, a 24-year-old guy and a 17-year-old kid. Um, I mean, it's kind of like Lolita, if you've ever seen Lolita. They, they do it in a way yeah. that's, it's incredibly wrong and creepy what you're watching, just like The Shape of Water. It's a woman fucking a fish. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, oh, wait, we, we, we're, we're gonna spoil it from this point on, just so people are warned. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, in this one, uh, we have, yeah, spoiler alert, a kid sniffing boxer shorts and getting off, having sex with a peach. 
and then uh, having sex with a woman and having sex with a man. Like, he pretty much fucks everything. I, I think there was a line in this movie when Oliver says something along those lines, doesn't he? Like, oh, what's next? Minerals? Yeah. Um, so, <sighs> yeah, I mean, but it just, just overall, I just kind of think, and just the music and just the feel of this film, like, it, it really could have swayed towards boring, but it just... It just didn't. And, I mean, it's, of course, set in, what, the early 80s, which really, except for maybe a couple of songs and the cars, like, you really can't really... Cars is in motor vehicles, not the band, the cars. Um, you can sort of... It doesn't really... It feels weird to think that this is set in that period because it really doesn't feel like it's a, a movie that's, what, meant to be set 30 years ago. Yeah, like, we talked about the post, how that it really just looked authentically like the 70s. And I mentioned, you know, American Hustle as being an example that's, like representing the worst of uh, a decade I, I i think i agree with you and disagree but the way i agree with you is that you don't sit there and, and i guess actively notice oh this looks so 70s but it does feel like if if you keep that that title 1983 or whatever in your mind it does feel like this this is 1983 and there's even something about just the way the movie is presented where it doesn't feel like a modern movie and maybe that's because they're not shoving political or social yeah. messages down your throat. And that's, like, when you talk about the relationship, that's the thing that I think really worked in this movie is that at no point in this movie is this, like, what your typical Hollywood story would be where they're like, oh, I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. People are going to find out about us. They just so, – these two guys exist in their own world. And for the first hour of the movie – it's all so subtle between them that if you didn't know what this movie was about going in, you would just think, well, this is a movie about two guys who kind of, you know, maybe maybe they get along, maybe they don't get along. And it's just about two two young guys becoming good bros, you know? Uh, <laughs> very, very so good subtle. bros. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it takes that turn where if you didn't know what the movie was about, you're like, wow, that's not where I saw this going. <laughs> but, I mean, I knew what this movie was about. And for the first hour, I'm like... You know, it's just little things like he touches his shoulder and then you don't see Elio sitting there going, oh, he touched my shoulder. It's not him. You know, <laughs> you have subtle things like him. You, they're implying he's trying to masturbate at one point. And it's not like he's watching, you know, Army Hammer shirtless when he's doing that. It's you. The, nothing is really crammed down your throat and nothing is so obvious. It's all it slowly unfolds. And at the point, it you know, that it does become all well, these two guys, they're really getting it on you know a lot and they do get it on a lot in this movie um it happens so late and it was so slow the progression that it just it feels natural you're just sort of watching this unfold and the fact that this movie isn't about them you know uh, i don't know am i gay am i straight this movie we don't want to spoil too much but this movie never settles whether these guys are straight gay bisexual yeah. confused whether they've had relationships before anything like that that's why I said the movie just sort of exists in the world of these two guys, and you don't have to know anything going in. You don't have to know anything that happens afterwards. It's just sort of, it's just there. Colin, every time, you know, I've been to Italy, I've always hooked up with some random 17-year-old kid. I mean, I don't know about you. It's just Italian. It's just what you do. Um, that probably sounded a bit inappropriate, Ben. That joke fell flat. Uh, but no, like... <laughs> Think before you speak, Ben. Think before you speak. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And this is, I kind of appreciate this about sort of films with this subject matter is that, yeah, like we're not having it constantly shoved down our throat. Like it's the eighties, you know, it's the gay scare, uh, the AIDS scare, you know, like things like that. So that's never even addressed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's only maybe a few minor little scenes where there's kind of a slight little like, Oh, if my dad found out, he would disown me, you know, like it's just, 
the tiniest little mentions. And, like, you're right, like, the ending of this film, just, like, I wasn't expecting it. You're expecting a certain thing to happen, and it doesn't, and kind of, it just, it's ambiguous. It's just like, okay, cool, that's it, that's what happened. Um, and yeah. I appreciate that for that. And, um... Even just kind of like the side performances, like with Elio's parents and just the way they're acting, like that scene with Elio and his dad right at the end, like, wow, oh. that was just like, holy crap, that like, I'm going to admit, it brought tears to my eyes. That was just sweet. That was just so mm-hmm. sweet. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just something nice about this film with it and just, it's beautifully shot too. It really is a beautiful film to watch just with the scenery and sort of this landscape that it's set in, you know, uh, whichever part of Italy this is. I don't know if it's actually mentioned what part of Italy this is in, but it's thoroughly beautiful. Northern Italy I'm seeing here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just so much of this movie is just completely shot beautifully. And I'm sure Jamie also thought it was shot beautifully because barely a shirt is to be seen in this film. Yeah. And, I mean, the shorts themselves are about as short as anything you could ever get. The funny thing is, Jamie saw nothing of this. Um, When I was watching this movie, uh, she was gone for the evening watching some anime movie uh, in the theater. So she was paying good money to watch anime. I I look forward to that review coming to the Oz Network. Well, it's kind of weird. I mean, my wife left me at home to watch two men uh, (laughs) fall in love. (laughs) What did you do tonight, honey? I'll just watch two, you know, men and shirtless. What did you do? Yeah. I'll went and watch animation. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough. We're growing as a couple. But there's one point when she came home and she saw them. And I swear, she did not look at the screen for more than two seconds watching this movie. And it was a scene where Army Hammer was shirtless. And she just literally glanced at the screen for two minutes and walks away and just goes, the older guy's kind of hot. And that's just all she said. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, apparently I, I, I read or I saw somewhere that um, they actually had to uh, digitally remove his testicles from, I don't know how many scenes, but when uh, Army Hammer's wearing his real little short shorts, apparently they just couldn't avoid them hanging out of his pants. So, um, Jamie sadly uh, missed that. Um, I mean... As we kind of mentioned, this is also nominated for uh, Adapted Screenplay. Uh, so it's up against the disaster artist uh, Logan. Uh, there we go. Molly's Game and uh, Mudbound. Um, now, I'm assuming you've seen Logan. Uh, obviously, yeah. you did a review for us here on the Oz Network. Download now via uh, all our pages. Not sure if you've seen uh, the disaster artist Molly's Game or Mudbound, but how do you think it's a chance to stand up in that category? Uh, I've seen Logan and Molly's Game. Um, Molly's Game, I thought, had some problems with it, but, I mean, it's Aaron Sorkin dialogue, so it has that going for it. Logan was just, it was so good, and it was so deep. Um, but, I mean, I'd probably give the advantage to this movie. I, I don't think there's any way that Coleman by Your Name's not winning adapted screenplay. Like you mentioned, usually in a year with, an, with the Oscars, it's all adapted screenplays. And this year is different, where, you know, we go through the original screenplays, and that's all the front runners. This is pretty much the only legitimate, um, I'm not saying legitimate because I think there's other good movies in there, but just it's the only one that has a legitimate chance at winning. Uh, and it really should because of the way the script's handled, of the way that it, it's all so subtle. And even the scene you mentioned with his dad, which I think if I had one, I have maybe a few complaints about this movie. My one, com- one of my complaints would be that I almost felt like the movie should have just ended right there mm. because it is such a powerful scene. And just the subtlety of how... Um, everything progresses in this movie like i mentioned how the relationship progresses it's the same way with that scene that scene starts and you think they're talking about one thing and then like two minutes later you're like 
are they maybe saying something else and then it's only like in the last minutes of that scene that you, you really get what the dad's trying to say to him it, it it was just it was beautifully written uh a couple of issues though that i had which i think would come back to the the screenplay is that one uh, there's no conflict in this movie no and i know this is where i said the things that I'm going to praise about are also going to be things that I kind of criticize because I like that this movie just, it was what it was. It wasn't about, Oh no, people are going to find out about us. But when there's no conflict in the movie, you do reach a point, which kind of came maybe in the last half hour here where you're not really invested. You don't care where it goes because you don't know where they're going with the movie. And I'm not saying that they should have brought in something where, you know, the parents found out and flipped out and or something, but it would have been realistic if they did. Cause like you also mentioned, it's a little bit uh, like of a pedophile thing. I mean, they say the character is like 24 in this movie, but like Army Hammer looks mid 30s, yeah, at least. Absolutely. And Timothy Chalamet is supposed to be 17. I know he's older. He's supposed to be 17. He looks like 14. So this looks like a man twice the age of a boy coercing him into a very sexual relationship. It takes a little while to get over that watching this movie because I don't think it's necessarily believable these two characters are as close in the age as they are. But and, yeah, uh, and then the fact, like I said, that not that they should have brought that into it, but it's just examples of things that maybe would have created some conflict that could have made me a little bit more invested on the, the last act. Even like sort of what happens with the what the, basically the one female in this movie. Well, I mean there are more, but like as in like uh, Elio's sort of girlfriend who i don't know what yeah. you describe her as um you know there's conflict but then that's like barely conflict <laughs> like she just does a french thing and runs away um so, yeah <laughs> like that's all there is um but yeah it's kind of interesting to think that uh, about how that is the case because yeah there really is not a, none of that in the movie and this is this is the longest i think out of all the the nominees i think it's uh, what, uh, 213, uh, 213 minutes, 133 minutes, <laughs> Jesus, could have been 213 minutes, 132 minutes, I was a minute off, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, and, but, I mean, it's just, it's longer than Phantom Thread, but Phantom Thread feels like eight hours longer, so, um. And what's funny about that is that we complained, well, the reason is because the Phantom Thread has nothing going on, it's not like there's a story, this movie has no story either, Yeah. and yet it's watchable, and the Phantom Thread had scenes that went on forever. This movie has scenes that go on forever. It's just somehow it's more watchable than Phantom Thread. And I think, if anything, this movie's just convinced me how flawed Phantom Thread was that we didn't even give it credit for. Both, both contain memorable scenes involving food. Um, so Oh, that's all. That's the Oscar craze this year. <laughs> food. Uh, wait till you get to uh, Three Billboards, all the food scenes in that. Um, ah. I, I mean, just I don't, this is a weird one to ask, but original song, I mean, gosh, uh, the only one here that I honestly know, outside, and I can't even remember Mystery of Love. I think there was one song that I knew, like an originally sounded one that they did play, I think maybe twice, but all I remember was um, Love Love Your Way by the Psychedelic Furs played a couple times. It was a good song, but... Um, yeah, so I, I don't really remember it too much, which I don't know if that stands out for anything. I actually know the This Is Me song from The Greatest Showman. Um, I only know that because, funnily enough, our good friends over at Channel 7 use that as their uh, closing montage for the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, and it actually was quite effective. Um, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to comment. I'm sure this is the one category you pay most attention to, Colin, best original song. I, it's honestly a category that shouldn't be in the Oscars. <laughs> the, the reason why is because, yeah, every category has its place if it adds something to the movie, but 
most of the things that get nominated for Best Original Songs are things that play over the end credits. Therefore, they add nothing to the movie itself. So, I mean, this is a, it's a terrible category. I, I wouldn't care if they didn't have it. I will say I don't think there was a bad song in this movie. Um, I couldn't tell you which song this was, though. I just I have no idea. Uh, now, in terms of the odds, then, so we're looking at, uh, once again, our friends over at goldderby.com. This is the seventh best chance of winning <laughs> the best picture. Uh, good news is they rank it above Phantom Thread, but they also rank it ahead of Darkest Hours, funnily enough. Um, I mean, obviously, no chance. Do you feel that this has to win it? It's just there to make up the numbers? Um, at this point, being like two days away from the Oscars, I'd say no chance. Uh, it's, it's interesting that this is similar, not just because it has the whole thing about, you know, a young boy uh, getting involved in a gay relationship, but I guess there are similarities to the movie Moonlight that won last year. And I think if you went two weeks prior to the Oscars, nobody would have predicted Moonlight had a chance to win. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it just became this front runner. But it's definitely too late at this point for this to uh, for this to become a front runner. I, we could see something. I already mentioned this in a past episode, though, with Adrian Brody when he upset Daniel Day Lewis in The Pianist for Gangs of New York. I could see this potentially being a movie that wins maybe three out of its four categories, just a surprise winner in almost everything, kind of like The Pianist did in 2002. That's a good movie. Uh, I think that it's a great movie, yeah. And I think this has the same type of support. It's the small movie that a lot of people are supporting that nobody's really noticed. And a similar thing happened with Whiplash a few years ago, too, which I'll also say is probably my favorite movie of the last decade. I love that movie that much. Um, and Whiplash was the same thing. Like, So every once in a while, you get this one small movie that people are really loving going into it, the people who have seen it, and it just wins nearly everything except for Best Picture. Well, how many did Crash go in nominated for, and that blew everyone away, didn't it? Um, that Did that yeah. win more than one, or did it just win Best Picture? It won, I think, like three. Um, but, of course, one of those being Best Picture. Which people still bitch and moan about. You and I are going to do that episode one day and defend it, because it's a great film. Um, I'll take it over Mountain, which is everything I said this movie isn't. It's the movie that is all about the conflict and all about the drama and the melodrama and everything. And this movie does it so much better. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen Rokeback Mountain now that um, I have watched this one. Maybe I'll go watch it. I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, this movie's got a love story mood. really has. Mardi Gras weekend in Australia, so I should be celebrating uh, gay cinema. So uh, maybe I will. Um, now, we'll obviously rate, rank these and rate it. Uh, what are you doing with it? Buying, renting, binning? Uh, I'm, I'm really on the fence about this um, because I consider a buy at a movie where it's like, yeah, I really want to watch that movie again. I think if I went 10 years and never saw this movie again, you know, I'd be okay with that. Uh, but I definitely like it more than most of the movies I rent. I'll probably still give it a rent it though, but it'll be like a really strong rent it. Uh, just because I, I really, if this movie were on again, I would, you know, really enjoy watching it. I don't think that I'd be anxious to skip it or turn it on for something else. Yeah, I think I'm the same as you. I'm, it's a high rent. I mean, it's kind of, I was tossing and turning with this one between Ladybird and two in terms of my rankings as well, which, I mean, I'll get to in just a second. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to, to watch this anytime soon, but at the same time, I'd be the same as you. Like, I wouldn't, 
turn it off if it was all of a sudden on TV or something along those lines. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, to me, it's a, a good enough film to kind of have that. And on the rankings as well, I'm going to just put it just below Lady Bird. Um, just, again, it's nothing, again, I think they're very similar in terms of what I felt about them, but I mean, Lady Bird I rented as well as this one, so I've got this second last at the moment. Again, that's not to take anything away, I mean, God, it's leaps and bounds ahead of Phantom Thread, which is last, and <laughs> I just think ultimately it just shows the, the strong nature of these films that, I mean, I've enjoyed pretty much, you know, what, all but one. So, um, yeah, I think kind of that, that it's been a strong list, and, uh, that's where I'd put it. I don't know where you would put it. Uh, well, I'm similar to you. I think this is going to be kind of like our get out thing where, you know, one spot removed because I put it just slightly above Lady Bird. And I think Lady Bird's a movie that I'd be more likely to watch again just because, you know, oh, I'm in the mood to watch Lady Bird. Why not? But I think that this movie is more unique than Lady Bird. And I think if, if I had one complaint, which I, you know, voiced several times about Lady Bird is that we've seen a dozen other movies like that before. And I don't think we've seen a movie like Call Me By Your Name. So I'll put it slightly above Lady Bird. And speaking about movies that we haven't really seen something of before, uh, we're going to close it off tomorrow with maybe the uh, the Last Gasp favourite. Uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It's an interesting title. Um, now, I watched this one uh, last night at the same time. Well, not the same time, after I watched Call Me By Your Name. Uh, and I'll just say it now, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's, it's a unique film. It's got just some absolutely powerhouse performances in acting that I, you know, can see why, uh, that you've got favoritism, you know, for Francis McDormand and, you know, even obviously, uh, Sam Rockwell as well, who I'm a big fan of anyway. So, um, just amazing performances. Uh, you know, Woody Harrelson as well. Great in there. Uh, Peter Dinklage is in this movie. I didn't even realize that. Um, just, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's a really good film. It's unique. It's so different. And it's kind of one of these movies that like, you think something's going to happen a certain way and it doesn't. Um, and it's just, it's just fascinating. And also I will say, cause I know you haven't watched it yet. Keep an eye out for, um, one of the characters, random girlfriends, who I will have a story behind her because she was uh, an esteemed actress in Home and Away, um, who apparently now is just randomly made in Hollywood all of a sudden, and uh, she's related to a very, very famous Australian actor who I will fill you in tomorrow. But anyway, uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Colin? Uh, yeah, this is the one... I mean, obviously Dunkirk was the movie that I rushed out to see just because, you know, I love war movies, I love Christopher Nolan movies. Uh, and I love, you know, seeing something big in IMAX. But outside of that, of all the other Best Picture-nominated movies, this was the one I wanted to see the most. And I always make the mistake when I do my Best Picture, you know, viewings so I can get through all eight, nine nominees. I always make the mistake of sort of saving the ones that I'm least interested in for last. And it just ends up being a rush to get it done, you know, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. But... With this one, I almost saw this one. Jamie and I went to go see The Post. Our plan was to see this. It's just it was starting an hour later, and we weren't sure that you know we wanted to be out as late. So we saw The Post instead. So I've been dying to see this movie since it first came out. And I'm a, a huge fan of uh, you know most of the big actors of the movie, like Francis McDormand in Fargo, still one of the greatest performances ever. Sam Rockwell in pretty much anything, especially the movie Moon. I don't know if you ever saw Moon. He's just amazing in it. Uh, and Woody Harrelson, Ugh. one of my childhood heroes. You know, White Man Can't Jump. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, I'm noticing now we're going to, you know, officially complete all nine of these Best Picture movies, having uh, probably I don't know if we did with Dunkirk, but 
all these movies having actors from the other one because it looks like it has Lucas Hedges, who played one of the boyfriends in Lady Bird, and Caleb Landry Jones, who played the brother in Get Out. So there's like some. I weird... paid so much attention to these other actors clearly that I even recognize. You don't them. even notice them. <laughs> but there's a weird like I don't know. There's some type of weird you know Illuminati thing going on where there's. Uh, uh, a group of people that they're inserting into all the best well, pictures every single keep, year. Keep an eye out, too, for, uh, I can never say his name, Zalko Ivanak, who, of course, was one of the Drazen oh, yeah. brothers in 24, and he was in Damages, and uh, he's in Lost. I mean, he's Amazing. great. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm really excited to watch this one, so uh, I'm glad that I saved it for last. Yeah, it's it's a good movie, and, uh, well, great movie. I'm not saying good movie. It's a great movie. Uh, but I think kind of it, what we're going to do most in this one is obviously we'll finish off our rankings, talk about, uh, the chances and, uh, what we might even do too. It's something I think we did mention slightly end of last year. We were thinking of maybe doing a, a best sort of films, worst films of the year episode. And we thought, well, maybe we'll save that towards the Oscars. So we might kind of do a little bit at the end where we talk about sort of our favorite films from 2017 that obviously, you know, not all are going to be Oscar nominated films. Uh, maybe ones that you feel should have been up there, shouldn't definitely been up there, but you weirdly enjoyed and all the crap ones in between and everything along those lines. So like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe, YouTube, everywhere else, and we'll have one more day to go before we look towards the 90th Academy Awards uh, to see which film will win Best Picture for 2017, technically. My name is Colin, and later... My name is... Ben. Ben. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.